in the year that King Uzziah died, 52 years Uzziah has been king. And now the foundations of the kingdom shake as a new king takes his place. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah stands in the temple, feels the foundation shake, and sees the king, the Lord of hosts. And the veil that separates this world from another is drawn away, and Isaiah sees the greater reality that lies around and in the midst of him. Isaiah sees into the very heart of the universe, into the throne room of God, and he sees not the temple of Solomon, but the temple which is indeed the dwelling place of God. He sees not the Lord, not the king, but simply the hem of God's robe. And so great is this robe that it takes only the edge of it to fill the temple. Before the throne stand the heavenly seraphim whose wings hide their eyes from God's glory, whose wings hide their nakedness from God's holiness, and whose wings prepare them to fly off to do the will of the great and holy God. The foundations shake, the smoke of the incense arises, and Isaiah trembles. Here is mystery in its deepest sense, not something to be understood or puzzled out, but something that draws us out in it, into another realm of reality, something to leave us trembling in awe and wonder. Here is worship in its truest sense. I keep going back to an experience we had some years ago when John and I were in Jerusalem. We'd gone to Vespers at the Armenian Cathedral and had to wait outside in the courtyard until someone unlocked the door to let us in, just one minute before the service began. And as we went in, we were handed not a bulletin, but a brief history of Armenia of terrible genocide. Armenia was one of the first nations to become Christian. There were no hymn books, no order of worship, no explanation of what was happening. We were simply allowed in. There weren't even any chairs. There was a wonderful choir, all men, that chanted much of the service. They never came out to face us or stand where we could see them. They didn't even turn in their chairs to face us. They faced the altar. Everyone faced the altar, except the priest who read the Bible. And when he did that, he faced us. I had the feeling that they weren't even aware we were there. There was the smoke of incense and the sound of praise. And if none of us had been there, there still would have been the prayers and the incense and the praise. And it reminded me yet again that worship is meant to bring us into the presence of God. Worship is for the praise and adoration of the God who gave us life. I need to be clear that I'm someone who really believes the church should reach out in many ways to bring hope and healing to the community. And you know, one of the impressive things about red clay is the very many ways in which you do that. To name some would leave out others, so just know that the REACH Committee coordinates service in a great many different areas. And the reality is that churches are only secondarily or thirdly or fourthly social service agencies. When I was a kid, we had to learn the Westminster Catechism. I never got past the first couple of questions. But the first one is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer that comes back is to glorify and enjoy God forever. 
First and foremost, our task is worship. And when we draw away from that, we forget the true reason for our existence. And if we come to worship with that understanding, it will stand in such contrast to the comment, well, I don't get much out of it. That's a dangerous place to be. I mean, go back to your old Sunday school lessons. Remember that at the center of the temple stood the Holy of Holies. And it was off limits to anyone, anyone except the high priest, who would enter only once a year on the day of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, because holiness was considered to be dangerous. You didn't want to get too close. Keep your distance. And on that one sacred day, the priest, the high priest, would step on holy ground with only one purpose, and that was to utter the sacred name of God. And it was so holy that it could only be said aloud there in that place on that day. And actually they tell the story that a rope was tied around the high priest's leg so that should he die from such an encounter, someone else could pull him out without risking their own lives. It would have been dangerous for them to go in after him. Annie Dillard, in her, I think it's Tinker at Pilgrim's Creek, writes, why do people in churches seem like cheerful tourists on a package tour of the absolute? On the whole, I do not find Christians outside the catacombs sufficiently sensible of the conditions. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what kind of power we so blithely invoke? It's madness to wear ladies' hats in church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us in our pews, for the sleeping God may awake someday and take offense, or the waking God may return and draw us out to where we can never return. That was certainly Isaiah's experience. Whom can we send and who will go for us? How could he dare to answer a question like that? How could he even begin to respond? How could he not? And the task was as terrifying as the experience itself. This God who shook the foundations of the temple called Isaiah to be part of the shaking of the foundations of the world. He was to speak words of judgment. He was to call for change. He was called to be a prophet to a people who did not want to hear, to speak God's word to people who really chose to be deaf. So the question we should ask as we come to church is not, what will I get out of it? But how will I get out of it? How will I be changed? And if you dare to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Where will you be sent? What will God ask of you? Because God does ask. And God expects a response. Do you think, well, I can't do that? Are you afraid of your own inadequacy? So is Isaiah, but you know, that doesn't stop God. A God so great that the hem of his robe is enough to fill the temple is a God who does not know limits. Not yours, not any of ours. And yet here, in this central place of worship stands the table table of our Lord. Take and eat. 
my body given for you. The God who train fills the temple, the God whom it was dangerous to approach, this God has become God with us, Emmanuel. And the God into whose presence the ancient priest came at the risk of his life, this God has come into our presence at the risk of his own life. My body, given for you, take, eat. Eat.